Well, uh, welcome back. Uh, thank you for coming back. Uh, I, you know, I thought uh, rather than, than just uh, give some more information right away, I think we've, we've really um, laid it out there, you know, and, and have, uh, have, I hope, invoked uh, thoughtfulness, provoked some, um, some curiosity, invited uh, some self-discernment, maybe even some self-awareness, uh, I love that, uh, John, just uh, the appreciation of John being more artistic uh, and, and sort of gravitating. We have a personal sort of gravitational pull to, uh, to certain ways of communication. And I love that there are four Gospels. Um, we, we, it invites us to, I guess, uh, again, experience Yeshua in, in perhaps a way that, that is, is appropriate to us. And in fact, just I'm going to parlay on this a bit, but you know, the typical way of dealing with the four Gospels in the context of the local uh, uh, ecclesia um, is to harmonize them. So what I mean is you take, uh, and you'll find these if you look you know, on Amazon, the harmony of the gospel. Um, it, it sounds like, or looks like some of you are familiar with this, but what, it, what a harmony tries to do is it tries to take all of the, the various pieces, you know, essentially you have, you have a gospel according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, and according to John. And because we're not uh, content with four different gospels, we, we want to make them something else, and so we, we create a fifth gospel. Um, we, we deconstruct the ones we have in the canon to make one that isn't in the canon. Anyway, I'm giving my, my bias here. But, um, you know, so you, things aren't mentioned in, in Matthew, so you insert them from uh, Luke or, or, or John. And always you have to pick, well, which one's going to be the, the sort of the standard, the, the framework where I'm going to pull everything in? And it's almost always Luke because, you know, the... the uh, the preface to Luke gives the indication that he's the most historical. You know, uh, he's 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 you know researched all of the the data. He's read other gospels, and now his presentation is is sort of the summation of of, of it all. There's almost a hubris in in Luke. Actually, I find uh, and maybe that's not uh, you know the right the right thing to say, but but you know he sort of is. Yeah, I mean they were okay, but uh, I could do it. Or you know more orderly, um, but 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 I find that sort of the among the many weaknesses is just like what I'm getting from you is like why would we want to reduce and and make a what's what is not singular singular because not only for different uh, persons and the way we are shaped to learn um, you know just as you described your your wife finds you know that attractive you find. Mark attractive, and, and then, so it has, a, it has a personal sort of kind of diversity, but then, you know, there'll be seasons in, in the ministry of a, of, a, of a congregation where one gospel will be richer than another. It's not because one is better than the other, but depending on, you know, maybe the season, one of the gospels would be just more appropriate, and so maybe it's a you know it's been a while since we've reflected on art and uh, and and our and our spiritual lives. Well, you know, don't read Matthew, um, not because it's not artistic, uh, but it's not its purpose. You know, um, I, I don't. I'm just I'm just now, but I, I think I really um, I appreciate that that's something that you took away, and I think there's a there. No, I'm just pulling out a number of other implications for uh, you know for rejecting. Um, a harmony 
Um, and probably the most, as I just referenced, you know, the most troubling thing about a harmony is it deconstructs the canonical gospel. <laughs> um, you can't make a harmony without ripping everything else out of its, out of its situatedness. And uh, the thoughtfulness of the author was to pick those events, put them in that way, and that's the, that's the, those are the gospels of the church. And dare I say, it's actually one gospel uh, together as four. Because once they were canonized, it's not individual gospels, it is the gospel. The gospel are the gospels, and, uh, but that's not an invitation to harmony, that's an invitation to see the, the unity and the theological nuance of diversity. Um, diversity is not the problem, it's the methodology that we, in the presumptions we bring, that diversity somehow makes the, the historicity um, a problem, but... Uh, you know, uh, if, it weren't, if it wasn't the intention of either the writers in the same way it is for us, nor in the, in the canonical framing, you know, the, the, the chief question wasn't necessarily a historical one, um, although that's not important, but it seems it was a theological one, which means that there were, there's a truth that's sort of more important than historical correspondence. It doesn't negate historical correspondence, but it just, you know, that's not the framework. Why would I not have uh, recognized in my talk on the blind man, why wouldn't I have identified that very pure, very very pointed statement, I was once blind and now I see, as that sort of, uh, uh, that, that crossing of a line. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm willing to, to sort of kind of entertain that, but what I more wanted to say is the author doesn't, is not interested in at what point this, this individual sort of came to discipleship. It's, I mean, in other words, you don't find a flag. If, if that's the case, which I'm totally open to the, theory, to the high position, uh, the author doesn't indicate that. So we would be bringing that to the text. Um, and it's a good suggestion. I like it. Um, but you can't be demonstrated by the narrative. You know, not, and, and John is, the, the author, the, the narrator, has no problem inserting himself. <laughs> um, you, you find that so many times, more than any of the others, uh, it'll be like, okay, I'm going to stop this, and by the way, and then the, the, the narrative, you know, picks up again. Uh, so if he had wanted to flag something, um, he certainly could have. So the, the ambiguity of that, and the, in, the, in fact, the invitation to try to find it, um, is, uh, is, I think, the, the point. In other words, it's, it's ambiguous by its intentionality um, because it's, it's not, I guess, and this would be then the, the, the interpretation, it's mine, not scriptures, but the thing that I imagine uh, as a consequence is that it, it, it will frustrate us that there isn't a, a clear division between, you know, um, being out and being in, uh, uh, no faith, faith, or whatever. It's uh, what what is important is is what it, what it looks like in an embodied uh, public way. And so anyway, so I, I think that's a wonderful suggestion, but um, I can't you know say yes for that reason. In in traditions where there is an emphasis on the literal you know word of God, the Bible is literal. Um, I, we talked about Eugene Peterson, he passed away, but, um, and this is a great time to mention that uh, probably four years ago, Bono of U2 and uh, Eugene Peterson uh, did a, had a documentary done 
by, uh, by, by a professor at Fuller. And, uh, and the context was that you uh, too really appreciated um, Eugene's uh, translation, and they read it as a band, and, um, and so uh, Bono reached out to Eugene, and they began a friendship, and so this, this um, professor is like, let's have a conversation around the Psalms and talk about embodiment and, and poetry, and, and so uh, they, they're, they're discussing, and, and uh, the guy says, you know, what was your first interaction with the Psalms? And Eugene says, well, I, I grew up in a, in a church that said, you know, you read the Bible literally, and so I went into the, the Psalms, and I'm like, I have no idea what to do with this. I mean, God puts my tears in a bottle, you know, he's a rock, you know, it's like, you know, hello, you know, and, and, you know, he said he began to discover what metaphor was, even though he didn't know the word metaphor, um, and, and I think, uh, unfortunately, um, it is, me- it's, it's kind of presuppositions about what the Bible is, uh, and there are uh, sort of s- traditions of you know, out of the Enlightenment that uh, re- reduce most things to, to logic. Um, and I went to Dallas Seminary, and I'm, I can tell you, it's amazing how many uh, t- Texas A&M students are in seminary, and they, they all studied, uh, you know, engineering. So, <laughs> you know, it's like they approach the text like an engineering, you know, sort of um, uh, project. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's just, I'm sure there's some exaggeration there, but there can be a tendency to approach the Bible from, you know, uh, our own uh, presupposition, you know, worldview, and not uh, have a, an appreciation for what the kind of literature is. You use the word genre. What's the genre of literature um, that can be a little bit too, in a way, sophisticated or too subtle? Uh, because uh, then you're like, well, what is it? Is this literal? Is this figurative? Um, and, and rather than saying it's one or the other, it, it just all depends. <laughs> it all depends on where you're at. Um, and some things that look uh, literal are, are, are to be taken um, with, with some artic, artistic appreciation, which John w- w- would be. So, yeah, so I, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's not purely scholars, because scholars who use narrative approaches, who, who have an aesthetic to how they, you know, that's, that's where this, uh, I think this, this work is, is being kind of being done at its, at its best. Um, it just, it's, it's a matter of um, inviting people to, to just have this um, whole body um, understanding of, of our, um, of our uh, relationship to, to Scripture, but also to Yeshua, that he doesn't, his, his, he doesn't just aim at our heads. Uh, he wants our whole bodies. And uh, that means not just here, but, you know, whatever, 15 inches here, and, unfo- and fortunately or unfortunately, this area doesn't, uh, doesn't care much about this. Um, this area sort of goes where it wants to go. Um, um, you know, your, your body has a, has, a, has a mind, and sometimes we forget that. Uh, and I think part of the maturity, I hope, is sort of sinking those parts back up so your, your body's not going here and your mind's going here, but you, you're kind of, you know, going in the same direction. Um, if that makes any sense. Uh, what motivation or, or rationale can we perhaps uh, identify that would explain why uh, there are details in the Gospel of John that are um, uh, in, in additional information, um, you might say, or embellishment, and not, not in a way that's meant to be pejorative. Uh, but, but what would explain why 
there's, uh, there are these, these differences. And uh, it's a fantastic question, um, which of course I would expect. Um, but um, I think uh, we really get at the heart of a question that that's, uh, can be uncomfortable for, for some, and that is, uh, why are the Gospels both the same but also different? Um, what would be the explanation that would, that would provide us some sort of comfort to know that when they record similar things, there are at times subtle differences like, like that, like the name, but they can also be widely different. So you go a bit deeper into the, um, into the, resur- you know, into the uh, crucifixion resurrection account and you, you read the, uh, the, the four, you read it horizontally, you, know, you read kind of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and just recall that, uh, that most of John is completely uh, unique. 90% of John is, is unique to the other uh, Gospels. I mean, only 10% cross over. Um, and, and I think then the question is, uh, in this case, you know, they, the people are at the, at the tomb, and they, they, uh, they are um, women uh, are at the tomb, and, and there are differences of details. Like, there's one woman in one of the scenes, uh, there are more than two women in another scene and two women in a third scene. And then there's like, how many angels were there? Where were the angels? Were they outside? Were they inside? And, and you know, the, the, the easy thing to do is to just try to explain it away as differing perspectives. Um, well, this is just, you know, it's like any event. You have, you know, you watch an accident and people have different perspectives. But, you know, I mean, if, if we watched an accident we would probably be able to say there were two cars involved. Um, we would, uh, if we watched it, we'd probably be able to say that the one car stopped and the other rammed in behind it. Um, of course, there are going to be some different details, but, but in a way, these are a bit more tricky than just saying, well, it's just a different perspective. So um, I, th- I think um, there, there is this invitation, I, w- I, would, I would suggest, that... Um, that instead of trying to answer something that's really unanswerable, we can come up with various explanations. I think perhaps the one is, that's most compelling is I think what one calls a contradiction, another can call a compliment. So as a general rule of thumb, I think it's, it's, strong, it's harder to make the argument that it's a contradiction. It's easier to make it as these are complementary, but there are these occasions where you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a harder uh, question to answer. And, and my um, approach is, to, is, is canonical. I mean, it's, it's not a historical question for me. It's, it's the canonical relationship. Canonical. I, what I mean by that, canonical, is that I mean as a confessing follower of Yeshua, uh, as, a, as, a, um, as, a, as a, a, a person in the line of tradition of the handing down of Scripture. Uh, we are, are recipients of tradition. Um, and and, uh, and w- so what that means, again, like, like I was talking about last night, we are, everything we know is mediated. You can't get behind the Gospels to sort of grasp a historical person that is uh, uninterpreted, not seen through the eyes of a faith that's rooted in uh, the Tanakh. Um, and, and so when I'm thinking canonical, I'm thinking that, uh, that in God's providence, um, the, the shape of our text that we call scripture, 
and in this case we're talking about the New Testament, uh, of the, the number of Gospels that were available in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, and, and there, there were 40 or 50, um, these four had a unique distinction among all. I've heard one person say that it's something like, you might in one location read a number of Gospels, but you're always going to have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's, it isn't a matter that there weren't communities that accepted or read other Gospels. It was, in, even with that being said, there was always uh, the four Gospels. But, but what's, of course, what's just one other point, and then I'll move on. Okay, one other point. Yeah, is that um, when you read the Gospel of John alongside the story of the synoptics, you, you begin to see that, that uh, the stories that are told, the perspective that is presented, has something of a, of a, of a, of a, of a, of a unity to it. It, it. it seems like there's a unified uh, point at, at, from which the author is, is speaking. You know, just think with this with me. When you, when you look at something, you're always looking at it from somewhere. And, and it, as, you, as you read broadly John's uh, presentation, there are so many indications that the from where for the author is, is, uh, is uh, priestly. It's, it's, it's a Jerusalem-centered Judean perspective. I'll just state that. I could, I could demonstrate it. Uh, but, but in that sense, compared to the synoptics, the from where for them is Galilee. Their from is Galilee towards Yeshua and his ministry. Uh, John's gospel seems to be from Jerusalem, Judea, Jesus, Yeshua. So uh, just, a, just an example. So, so John, John tells us that, that um, Yeshua came from Galilee uh, uh, and he was rejected by his home and so he went back to Galilee. Uh, in the, in the sense that, that Yeshua's home was, was actually Judea. And, and, and unlike the other synoptics, we have John telling us that, that Yeshua went to Jerusalem for uh, high holy days a number of times, going back and forth, back and forth. Whereas in the synoptics, the only time Yeshua goes to Jerusalem is in the sort of the final uh, demonstration of his kingship in death. And so there's, there's this fluidity and this sort of uh, leaning in John's gospel from a, from a Jerusalem-centric perspective. So if that's true, and some have argued that, that the reason um, this guy named Richard Balcom, who's a very uh, widely recognized expert on John, he's, he believes that uh, the disciple, the beloved disciple, the one uh, based on, on the testimony of this beloved disciple, this gospel was written, was a, not a Galilean disciple, but a Judean disciple. In other words, it was an original sort of disciple of Jesus, of Yeshua, but it was, it was a disciple that came from a different region. And that would explain why the person knows so much about you know, the inner workings of the, of the temple precinct, for example, um, or the, the festivals that that uh, are, um, are used as, as, as um, means by which Yeshua's uh, Israel-centric work is expressed. Um, and, and so uh, while I haven't fully gone in, in Balcom's uh, um, theory, because, he, because for other reasons, I really think there's something to the idea that 
Um, this is, this is a, a disciple, original disciple of, of Yeshua, perhaps not actually one of the 12, which goes against a bit of the tradition of the, you know, that it's, it's the um, Apostle John, um, which the gospel itself doesn't say. That's, a, that's tradition, um, which uh, it, Balcom kind of pulls a different direction on the same tradition. Just a guy named John that's mentioned, and so you've got to posit which, which John it was. But um, that is, a, again, a theory that sort of explains these details where, where the gospel, four Gospels kind of line up together. So um, uh, those are kind of the sophisticated types of questions that, or answers that come out of very honest uh, observations um, and, uh, and I guess just to wrap this up, I, and maybe afterwards we can have more conversation around uh, responses and questions, because I do want to make a couple of comments in the, in the remaining minutes about uh, the adversaries in this story. But, um, you know, our, 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 what appears to be the most uh, simplistic question, you know, the most kind of obvious questions, tend to be, uh, in the end, those that are the most difficult to, uh, to answer. Um, are, are not just difficult because they, um, there isn't uh, a way to answer it, but it's, it, they're difficult because they're, they're, um, they sometimes lead us in directions of treating s- Scripture in a way that we're not, we're not usually um, comfortable with. Um, and uh, what I mean by that is we treat uh, Scripture sometimes like it's the, it's the fourth member of the Trinity, uh, it's uh, it's what are they? It's not idolatry. It's uh, it's biblot. Yeah, you got it. It's 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 putting Bible as as idolatry. It's making scripture uh, on the level of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in a taxonomy of of priority, it's it's Yeshua, which Scripture New Testament witnesses to. Um, and so we just need to have a, a more maybe you'd say. Humility and robustness, in, humility in that there are things that are difficult to answer, and and in that sense a more robust sense that this is a text that uh, that is on the ground in a human sense. It's not it's not a it's not divine in the sense that it fell from the sky. It's divine in the sense that it's God breathed. All right, where I, I want to kind of uh, invite us to to um, again to presence in the topic that we want to look at for a few minutes in terms of the adversary or adversaries of Yeshua in the story of John. And I want to begin by just making some observations. So if, if you can open back to your, your New Testament, to the Gospel of John, um, and, and while you're turning there, just, I, I think this is a, is a critical question because our tendency is to posit uh, causes and effects of, 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 uh, of suffering that we feel in a human dimension only. That, that, that when, we, when we enter into conflict relationally, maybe in a marriage, maybe with our, with our children, when we, when we find um, that we are sideways with our, with our boss and and it's, it be become a, in a very vulnerable position. Um, it, these kind of very earthly things. Um, uh, a, a, you know, adultery is discovered. Um, 
you know, uh, drug addiction is revealed, uh, pornography, all, you know, we can list, 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 and, and we, we ten, our tendency, because we're human and we're, and we're narrow-minded, not in a negative sense, but we just, you know, we're human, we tend to just see causes and effects here. And, and, uh, and so we, we're, we're saying, well, it's because of this relationship or it's because, uh, you know, my son or daughter got involved with the wrong people or, you know, these kinds of explanations, which are not, in a sense, untrue or, or they're not, it's not as if they're false. But what John wants to help us see is that the real sort of conflict is not on this plane, on the earthly plane. The real conflict is, is, is in the heavens, is a, is, a, is a conflict between a personal evil, personal evil, an evil that's not abstract and has no intentionality, an evil that is personal in the sense that it is intentional, it has purposes, and it is on the attack. Um, and, and so the Gospel of John, which uh, in a sense has its uh, s- sort of uh, perhaps uh, more developed relative called the Apocalypse, the Revelation, is in church tradition, the author of the Gospel and the author of the book of Revelation are, are the same person. And at, and, and at the least, they, they come from the same uh, sort of social location. Uh, and, and what... Like Revelation, uh, John wants us to see the real issues are, are in a sphere that we have no control of or, uh, or ability to, on our own, address with any, uh, any uh, capacity to, to, uh, to uh, gain any ground. The, 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 the issues related to the adversaries in John against the Messiah are not in the first instance people, individuals. It is the, the, uh, the agency of the person John names as either the prince of the world or the prince of the power of the, of the air. In uh, a few contexts, uh, in referencing um, the, uh, the personal... Uh, malevolent ruler of this planet, though created by God, though though loved by God, is nevertheless no longer ruled by God. That might be hard to kind of get your head around. I mean, Israel's God created this world. He 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 organized it so that it, it functions perfectly. And what Scripture invites us to imagine is that somewhere. We have difficulty positing at what point uh, the the creation that he beautifully called out by his word um, rebelled, uh, sabotaged, and and took from him. We could say, okay, sovereign God, you know, agency, let it happen. It's not, it doesn't matter because, in fact, it is the case that the reason Yeshua comes into this world is because although it's loved by God, it is not anymore His. There is a, another authority that has taken over and has created a blindness, an, an inability for the human uh, world to see what is true. 
Um, and, and I think our perspective, and I'll just underscore this, our perspective about uh, the adversary in John um, can be also illustrated. So you had the prince uh, uh, of this world, uh, but if you, if you consider the difference in the way the, the synoptic gospels address uh, Yeshua's uh, ministry of, of, of miraculous deeds in comparison to, to John's presentation of miraculous deeds, what you discover is that the synoptic gospels believe that, that, you can, you can, uh, that Jesus can uh, uh, expel the, the demonic world, can, can, can through um, a, a, a word expel the, the singular particular expression of satanic or, 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 or devilish power. It's, 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 it's in the synoptics, it's capable, you're capable, that Jesus is, is, is able to, to cast it out um, and, and to create a space, whether it's, it's uh, actually a space or in a person where no longer are they possessed. So the boy who is, is, um, has some mental illness and is, is, is uh, insane in a way, just, just kind of throwing himself in the fire or whatever, uh, uh, Yeshua speaks and the boy is, is healed. Or, or the, 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 um, another insane, insane person who's, who's uh, chained up uh, in in a uh, in the uh, the eastern side of the, the of the Sea of Galilee and and nobody wants to go near him. He, he's he's just he's just crazy and and uh, and and Yeshua drives out those demons into the swine and the swine fall down. Now, um, when you come to John's gospel, his his understanding of evil is so pervasive that that you don't have Jesus casting out demons. There's not one story in John's gospel of Jesus uh, exercising uh, evil spirits, unclean spirits out. It's all over the synoptics. He's doing it everywhere. It's not happening in John. So you sort of say, what? That's interesting. Did John not think that was important? I mean, you know. I mean, it does got, you know, okay. So John does have a resurrection of a person, you know, like Lazarus come forth. And the most we get in, in the synoptics is, you know, this, this, this young uh, child in, in the village of, of Nain. Um, but in John, you got Lazarus, you know? And Lazarus is so important in John because in a, in a sense, the straw that breaks the camel's back for Yeshua's sentence of death is actually not the temple incident, the temple demonstration, but the fact that everybody now, because of Lazarus' resurrection, wants to follow Jesus. And the, and the, and the Jewish religious leaders of the, of the sort of aristocracy the aristocracy around the, the temple. And let's be honest, if you've ever, again, traveled to Israel and you've been in Jerusalem, you've seen these, these uh, Herodian mansions uh, just sort of um, west of the Temple Mount. Uh, you get a sense that these priests were kind of living high on the hog. I mean, they weren't doing too bad. And, and their tastes for art and, and, and tableware you know, it, it comes right from, from you know, the Mediterranean, uh, Greek, Roman um, area. So, so, you know, Yeshua is, is, is calling out uh, not just some um, uh, kind of abstract or, or, or uh, 
corporate uh, um, community called the Jews. Um, we'll see this a bit more in a second, but he's, he's castigating, he's fighting a, a temple-based Jewish aristocracy that is, ex, ex, um, uh, that is uh, exploiting rather than serving. So, so you, come, you come back then to the, to, the, to the issue of the adversary, and, and it becomes very clear that the real battle in this story is not Yeshua against the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Sanhedrin. Um, it, it is the, the uh, battle against the prince of this world. The one that has such control, no one exorcism will do anything. Uh, nothing short of total renewal, total restoration, not just of people but of place. Um, Israel's restoration as the, as the, uh, as the impetus for, uh, for God making all things new, that's the only option. Uh, this is called apocalyptic thinking, apocalypticism. Try to say that five times fast. Um, it's hard, trust me. I, it took me. It's taken me 20 years to be able to just say it, and I still can't spell it. Um, it's probably the hardest word to spell. I mean, I'm sure Henry has no problem spelling that. He could probably stand up there and, uh, and spell a lot of words like that. Um, but uh, because, you know, his, his, he's, got a, he's got an amazing um, mind. But, but apocalypticism is this idea that the world is so bad. The world is so bad off that nothing short of divine intervention will, will move the needle for for, for right living, for faithfulness. Um, and, and so, <laughs> while there is apocalypticism in all of the Gospels, John is like, you know, uh, shot through. He's, he's thoroughgoingly an apocalyptic thinker. That's why you can't throw out a few demons. You gotta like turn the whole thing over. And so, uh, the fight in the Gospel of John is, is against the principalities and powers that are... Um, Hovering above, but also in and through. Um, now I had you turn to a passage, and I'll be honest—I don't remember what I told you to turn to. I did, didn't I? Say, hold your finger or something like that. Okay. Well, then, then I'll tell you where to go. Um, um, I, I want us to um, to go to. Um, let's go to the 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 story of. Um, the woman and Jesus in chapter 8. Uh, I, I, <laughs> um, so we're looking at chapter 8, the, the so-called woman caught in adultery. Um, this is sort of fun for me as, a, as a, a New Testament scholar because I love to teach this passage in John because no, you know, it, it, people assume it's not in John if you read the footnotes, and so they don't preach it. They don't talk about it. Even evangelicals, like they're, in this sense, they are... They are really, really. Um, they've adopted this kind of thinking that that uh, if it's if it if you can somehow um, through a historical methodology decide that this text wasn't in the original, then it would be it would be wrong. Literally, I mean, it would be an error to teach it. Now, talking about the inspired Word of God, uh, the canon. This is in John's Gospel. However, it got there, um, and and so. Um, I, I, uh, it's, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing for me because um, I'm well aware of the issues, but I'm still going to treat it within this sort of framework of John because I, I think in this case it just so powerfully illustrates exactly what we want to see, and that is 
what looks like a, 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 a conflict between Yeshua and the religious leaders is really about something cosmic. And we don't have time to go into a lot of the detail of it. That's not so much my interest. But I just want to paint the picture enough and then, and then um, just sort of then lay, it, lay over it this cosmic um, con- context. And just as an aside, anytime I can just put this passage in front of people, um, I want to because it is such an invitation to, um, to, uh, to come to a point where our... The, sh- the, shame- the most shameful parts of our life can be taken uh, into the center where Jesus is. And, uh, and that he is in the center of our shame. Um, and his, his message to those found in the most exposed, shameful place is a playful protection and an invitation to free oneself from the contempt and condemnation of both what, has, what, what culpability we might have but in this passage, all the more what culpability has been, has been uh, in the power that has wounded and harmed us, how evil has, has cut us, has deformed us, has uh, marred our image bearing. In other words, the story teaches us that when we are in the circle of Jesus in the shame of our most exposed moment, Yeshua's response is not a word of contempt and condemnation. It's a word of, there's no one here to condemn you. And, and so in a, in a life that, uh, in being human, and being human in the kind of world we inhabit, the, the world of John's perspective, the apocalyptic perspective, that it is just simply uh, profoundly, in its simplicity, but profoundly difficult just to be human. That just simply getting out of bed and being human for a day is a lot harder than we have been allowed to believe in a lot of religious context. There's been little patience for just being human. And, and this story then sort of invites us to see this, this, this woman not as one who had any power, who had really any, um, you might say, choice in the matter, um, but who was, who was used as a pawn for a, for a game that, that, was, that, that she was not even an essential part of except to be uh, used and then discarded. Um, the, the, <laughs> this idea of this adulterous woman, I think, is so, so misses the mark. Um, it misses the fact that this culture uh, would not have, um, a woman would not have had the kind of uh, promiscuity that we assume this woman would have. Um, the, the story as it's normally understood, does not appreciate the way in which women, even in the best sort of scenarios in terms of, 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 of virtue in a Jewish context, were still uh, treated as, as property. Um, that, that her situation of being caught in adultery uh, may have had little to do with her actual consent. Um, and it's always bizarre to me why... Uh, you know, at least as I understand, adultery takes two people. Um, you know, maybe you can do the math for me differently. Uh, but, but there's only one person who's thrown at the foot of Jesus. And, and there's some other details that seems this was just a setup. This was purely a setup, and she happened to be uh, the, the tool to get at uh, 
Jesus. And you know why I know that? I'm actually not making that up because if, if you look at this, at this story uh, and you see that, uh, that the author, as I've mentioned, steps in and explains, it's the only time the, 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 narrator, the narrator steps into the story. And when a narrator stops the action and says, this is, this is happening, this is why it happened, listen, we should like see that in like, like a Kmart blue light special type thing. You know, you, do you remember Kmart's blue light special? Uh, I was a kid, but you know, when the blue light went off, you, you went there because you didn't know what it was on special. Anyway, this should be in lights because the, the narrator is not giving us, is not making it ambiguous. He wants us to know what's going on here. And if you, <laughs> this is so powerful. I love this. I mean, not that the, the Jesus is, is Yeshua, God of Israel, is this kind, this, this, this forgiving. Um, so it's the Pharisees, verse uh, 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in the woman caught in adultery made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Ha-ha, you know, like, you know, we just happened upon it. Again, you know, takes two, and how do you just happen upon adultery? I mean, such a setup. And in, in the way John even tells it, it just reveals it. Um, so the law of Moses commanded us to not stone the, such a, or to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Now, here's, here's the... the um, the giveaway. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing. This woman was exploited for the purpose of trapping Jesus. We have, by titleness, the woman caught in adultery. We have, for 2,000 years, um, marred the character of this woman who had no real power. It was not consensual. She is not the one who is enacting the evil here. It is being enacted on her for the sake of accusing Jesus. And, 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 you know, it's like, God forgive us for reading this story as if the woman was the problem. God forbid for however many, 2,000 years, I don't know, I, don't, I haven't done the research on that, but, but it has been a long-standing tradition that this story is about the woman who was caught into adultery. When... On the surface, that might be true, but in reality, it was a it was a setup, and she was being used. She was, was she was used, and then she was discarded. And as best I can tell, that's abuse. That is sexual exploitation. That is sexual abuse. That is that is the sex trade today, uh, right there in front of us. Um, it's not that. Again, we have to be careful. It's not that this was sort of the Jewish thing, <laughs> you know. It's not as if this was. This was the way uh, Jews in the first century treated women. Um, comparatively, Jewish ethics, Jewish, the Jewish Torah, uh, guided in wisdom Jewish um, society to um, much more uh, celebrate and value women. You think of Proverbs 31, you think of uh, you know, uh, Ruth, you think then of the sort of the uh, apocryphal books that come from Second Temple Judaism, like like, um, like Judith, um, these, these are pictures of, of a very honorable woman. But in this story, these leaders are using her to get to Jesus. Um, and and we we're not going to unfold this anymore. I made, I made some comments about it, but if you'll reflect on it at some point later. But, but when I read that, and I see where this, where this woman is, is caught in this conflict, um, and I put that within the perspective of this apocalyptic worldview, um, it makes me think 
that the way I should read this is not on the level of, of the woman or Jesus or the Yeshua in, in the human realm and the Pharisees and the other, but Yeshua as God's, as God's sent one in, at war and at conflict with the, the, the agents of the prince of the world. That this story is simply um, presenting, as others, as others, I just like this one a lot, so that's why I'm using it, it's that the war here, the adversarial uh, relationship here, while on the ground, is really about something much, much more, much more cosmic. Um, and, and so when we think about the adversaries in the Gospel of John that, that are sort of situated very much on the ground, if we're going to read John rightly, we need to see that these are just sort of um, the, 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 you might say, the footprints of, of, the, of the, the real adversarial um, fight, which then would lead us to see that the, the death of Yeshua, the resurrection of Yeshua, as it's presented in John as a, as a, a glorification, um, Yeshua's, Yeshua's death and his resurrection, death resurrection, seen very closely, is his, uh, his being exalted as the king. It's not a tragedy, it's his coronation. And, and, and his death and resurrection uh, delivers um, this loved world that God made, delivers it from the, from the malevolent dictatorship of a personal evil, not an abstract evil. Um, so that is kind of the, the, the gristle of what I wanted to talk about this afternoon, is that as we think about it, as we lay, as we think through our own conflicts, and unfortunately, the story of this woman uh, has, has so much, we're so much more as a, of a society to be able to name these things, that, that tragically, this story is being replayed and replayed and replayed, and stories much like this. And and there is a there is a, a an honor of the story. There's an honoring, like like this woman has been used. But but as we kind of come to grips with those sort of uh, those truths of the way evil has harmed us, we are invited by John to, to, to lift that up into something much, much more cosmic, where in the end, it's not, it's not a, about us. It's ultimately about evil seeking to, to, to steal, kill, and destroy God's beautiful image bearers. Uh, and, and Yeshua's sentness is to be present with us in that, like he was at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, where Jesus wept. Why did he weep? It's a good question. doesn't say in Scripture, but here's my sense of it, and this is a pretty common one, is that he was grieving, not Lazarus' death. He knew he was going to raise him. He was grieving the way in which evil, what it does to us as image bearers, as, as human beings. And, and so Yeshua both understands how hard it is to be human, has lived it, has seen it, can, can own it with us, can honor it, can say, I, I get it. Why are you so hard on yourself? I, I, I'm, I'm not condemning you. Uh, I'm inviting you to see that there's, there's, there's another path if you're willing to have an imagination for it. 
It's not, you're not condemned, therefore never sin again. It's, I don't condemn you, now sin no more. I don't condemn you, now sin no more. You're not condemned, now sin no more. It is the banner over which we live. Both and. I don't condemn you, now go sin no more. It's not like functional, like, like A equals then B. It's like it's not you're, you know, you're forgiven, but don't ever sin again. No, that, that, that isn't the invitation. Well, how invitational is that? Thanks for forgiving me, but now I'm even in a worse state of affairs because now I've got to live up to this forgiveness. Thank you. Um, no, it's so much kinder. It's, it's, it's a, um, I don't condemn you anymore, and there is a life beyond what you have imagined. Would you consider it? Now, if you, if there, you fall again, okay, no condemnation, now go sin no more. And again, okay, no condemnation, now go sin no more. It's an invitation to a wise life. Um, and, and, and why is that? Because Yeshua knows that we are in a, in a cosmic war in which we as humans are the victim. And I'm not saying that there aren't predators. That, that I'm not saying any of that. Obviously, they're predators. Uh, but those who are prayed against are vindicated by the ability to say it's not my fault. I didn't ask for this. The tendencies in my life towards bent things away from Yeshua is not simply I'm just you know uh, I'm I'm just a you know a uh, you know, depraved person. No, you are a creation of God. You are beautiful. You are the spark of of God's and Yeshua's eye and. And he communicates to us that being human is understandable, is forgiven, and will ultimately be redeemed. Um, and so it's an invitation for us to think about our adversaries, the ones we interact with every day, um, and to ask, how does this conflict relate to the one that's really going on between um, uh, the one who's holding on, trying to hold on to the power in this world, but is... Is, uh, is well aware that it's, it's a grasp, he or whatever the personification is, uh, whatever evil is personally, uh, it's going to fight to the death. Um, so uh, that's, that's how I want to sort of wrap this, this piece up. I want us to invite ourselves to the kindness of God's no condemnation, go sin no more, in the context of a war and a battle that is, is, uh, is out of our reach and out of our control. So when the conflicts we feel, we need to map them by this more cosmic one that John assumed. We pray with me just as we, we close, and I'm, um, I'm, I'm just right really at the, at the point we needed to be in terms of time. Um, Father, Yeshua, Ruach, the triune God, just gratitude, gratitude for the presence of Yeshua in, in the circle of our shame. It's just another example of the many in John where what matters is being present with you, showing up, whether that means you're thrown in front of Yeshua. Being with Yeshua is the safest as he fights off the enemy and as he whispers in our ear, I don't condemn you. Imagine a life free. Yeshua, thank you for being the presence of the God of Israel, being the God of Israel, and inviting us into that. We thank you for breathing on us, the Ruach, and sending us as you were sent, so that we can now be Yeshua in the middle of the shame of others. Lord, help us to map our experiences, not, not in simply a human 
cause-effect, but in the way that reveals what is really true. And as in, that is, you are victorious over all your enemies in this world and in the heavenly. May we live with that kind of confidence, that kind of hope, as we uh, await your appearance. In Yeshua's name, amen.